Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. On a Tuesday, we're going to talk, of course, of USC Trojan football. I'm going to be joined alongside Chris Trevino. I've been doing a great job covering the team for several years with us over at uscfootball.com. And we got to recap what happened at Pac-12 Media Day. We got the USC Media Day coming up, so that should be interesting. A lot, a lot of players and coaches will be available. And fall camp starts on Friday. And we will be able to watch some of the practices, at least the beginning of the practices, talk to players, talk to coaches. So we're excited about all that. Chris has put out his 3.0 offensive depth charts. We'll talk about that a little bit. I've updated the scholarship distribution chart. So we got to talk about all that as well. If you have any questions or comments for the show, you can drop us an email. Podcast at uscfootball.com is where you can reach us. Uh, or you can give us a call or a text at 424-254-9141. Send us a text. Leave us a voicemail. We would like to respond and talk about whatever you'd like to hear about here on the Peristyle Podcast. If you have the Apple Podcasting app or any podcasting app, please follow us there. Leave us a five-star rating if that's possible and a review. That helps a lot. And if you're not a member over at uscfootball.com, jump over there uh, for a buck. You can get a month's worth of VIP access there's going to be a ton of content coming up. We've had a lot of recruiting insights and everything going up now. We'll be focusing on the team for the next month or so, but recruiting's always been going on. But tons of stuff, tons of content, analysis, uh, interviews, photos, videos, podcasts, shows, uh, all that going up at uscfootball.com. So don't miss any of it. You can sign up for a buck if you haven't done it yet. Uh, it's a great deal, and you'll definitely get in there and enjoy it. Make sure you jump on the Peristyle and start chatting with other USC Trojan fans over there. And one of those guys you can chat with is Chris Trevino. We're going to bring him in right now. Uh, Chris, how you doing, bud? I'm doing good. And number two, don't chat with me. I'm socially uh, awkward. I don't want to chat with anyone. I'm sorry. If you see me at one of our meetups in person, I'm very awkward. I, I apologize, but Ryan always wants me to talk to people. And I'm not good at it, Ryan. What are you doing? You're- you are good at it. You're very good at talking to people. Um, but, you know, this is one of those things where it's just, do you feel comfortable doing it? You're so much more comfortable than you were before. So I've been really proud of all your progress, Chris. Uh, that wasn't me fishing for a us. compliment here. <laughs> uh, this is actually so. this is actually reminiscent of our first podcast together because we're not in studio. We're doing this over Skype. Um, but the first time we did a podcast together. You asked me to be on, which was nerve wracking uh, to say the least. This is how we did it. We did it over Skype and yes. it was probably the worst podcast that's ever been done <laughs> on your, uh, your historic Peristyle podcast. So yeah, this is what it feels like, but it's obviously what four years, four years in the past, something like that. So it, this yeah, is redemption. When, it feels like. Yeah. When I first joined, when, 247 bought Scout, and we, like, merged the sites. I think that's when we first had you on. I went back and listened. It wasn't that bad, Chris. It wasn't, I think you're not giving yourself enough credit. But we are on Skype right now, so I'm out in the desert. 
uh, got a couple of days away, and uh, we still want to do the show. So we're not doing the video. You don't have to do the video part of it, Chris. We're not live. We're not answering questions live. So that's one thing, um, you know, doing that. Uh, but, yeah, we're just doing this. This will just be a podcast. So sorry, no video. We did a tunnel vision on Sunday night with Chris and I in studio. So you can watch that video. And we should have a whole bunch of videos coming up uh, for USC Media Day on Thursday. So we'll put a bunch of stuff up on the website uh, for all that. Wanted to thank our sponsor, Trader Joe's. Come out here to the desert. Made sure I stopped at Trader Joe's and uh, packed up some some snacks. You know, stuff you need around the pool. Uh, I like the to have the the white claw a little bit. You know, it's a, when it's a really hot day outside, those are kind of refreshing. But I get to I pick up some different packages of cheese and wine. Uh, you know, to go with all that too. Uh, little meats, crackers. Uh, I try like I don't know. I love that stuff at Trader Joe's, Chris, and just kind of pick it all together. Have yourself a little picnic. Uh, by the pool, they'll melt quick though. So you got to eat the eat the food fast because it gets hot out here. A uh, little desert picnic by the pool, I, I, I dig it. Yeah, and then come in the air conditioning, uh, which I turned off because it's kind of loud in here uh, at the condo I'm staying at. So it's probably going to be hot by the time this show's done. But I want the air conditioning to be kicking in while we're uh, while we're recording because it, it's kind of loud. But um, have you gone out in the desert much, Chris? Do you get out here at all? I've been out to uh, Palm Springs uh, a couple times, uh, probably not as much as, you know, most people take trips out there, but I've been there a couple times. I would like to get back, but yeah, I haven't been out there in a, probably like a couple years. It's a nice little getaway, you know, Palm Springs, Palm Desert, La Quinta, uh, Rancho Mirage, you know, there's a whole bunch of places um, around here, but I love, you know, love hanging out at the pool. It's a great little experience there so uh but i'll be back tonight actually so uh coming back and then got to get back to the full swing of things because we got like i said usc media day coming up on thursday um but you know we were both at pac-12 media day I got to hear from lincoln riley got to hear from caleb williams got to hear from shane lee i thought those players were really impressive uh all the interviews that they were doing and when you you know just kind of hear from them and and what they had to say, you know, Caleb Williams is just so polished, so measured. And I think, and, you know, Shane Lee is someone that's just like a no-nonsense kind of guy. But when he opens his mouth, I think you listen uh, to what he has to say. Uh, you know, Lincoln Riley was, you know, he's always been good. I think he was good up there on the podium, uh, talking to people, you know, saying that there was championship expectations. I know some people were criticizing that. I have, I have no problem with that. Um, you know, Bill Plaschke wrote a piece about, how they have to, you know, win now or everyone's going to be disappointed. I, I, I think he's just doing things, you know, the right way. We don't know. We have, he hasn't played a game yet, uh, you know, wearing Cardinal gold on the sidelines. But I think he's done just about everything you could do to try to set this team up for success. So, I, you know, I thought it went well on the USC side of things. Maybe we'll start with there, Chris. We've, we've talked a whole bunch about, like, the, the Pac-12 side of stuff with George Klyovkov on, on other shows and everything. But kind of focused on the USC stuff. Anything sort of stand out to you, Chris, of uh, what was said at Pac-12 Media Day? I mean, it just felt like a lot of things that we've sort of heard from, you know, spring and early on when Lincoln Riley came in, which I think is a good thing because you kind of want that consistency in the message and that nothing has changed. You know, day one, Lincoln Riley came in here saying, you know, I want to compete for championships. And that starts now. That doesn't start three years from now. That starts right now on taking over year one 
and he has kept that message and he has backed up those those beliefs and those actions by what they've done in building this roster in terms of, you know, the transfer portal and who they've recruited and the guys that they brought in. So you can see he's sort of backing up those those intentions and those words with actions and the way they've constructed, you know, they went out and they got Caleb Williams, you know, they went out, got a couple linemen, you know, they went out, got some defensive, uh, some defensive players to overhaul that defense that was atrocious last year. You know, they got some linebackers. They got a Shane Lee from Alabama. They got a couple of uh, freshman All-Americans, Eric, Eric Gentry. They took uh, Utah's Carbon Tabarucci. You know, they, they've been overhauling, all these areas of weaknesses and they've been building and building and building. And now we're here, you know, on the verge of fall camp and everyone's, you know, you know, it's nice to hear all these things. Everyone's excited about the Lincoln Riley era. You know, I know some people are probably still not used to seeing Lincoln Riley and that USC visor. They, they have to pinch themselves sometimes, but it's here, you know, we're less than a, we're coming up on one month, a month away from the season opener and fall camp is this week. And, you know, everything they've been working towards, you know, that's really going to be put to the test in this over the over this next month in terms of getting ready for that season opener and then taking off from there. So I think you're excited. I think fans are excited. I'm excited to sort of cover this team, given what, you know, we covered last year. It's just a new chapter. We get to we get to turn the page. And I think Pac-12 Media Day was sort of that that final tone setter as we go into real football Real wins and losses are coming up, not not moral victories or or anything like that. It's it's real now. The pads are coming on. the The hype train is going to officially take off from the station with the ESPNs and all this stuff. None of that really matters because right now it just matters what you do on the field. So I'm excited that we're approaching that point here within uh like 30 days. We'll be there. And same, 30 days away, um, and you know fall camp. Kicking off, no Pac-12 teams are going to be playing in week zero, but uh, you know, I see a lot of action uh, in week one, USC taking on Rice uh, September 3rd. So I'm, I'm anticipating a pretty good crowd for that. Just people waited a long time to see what this team is going to look like. And, uh, you know, us included. And you know, we got to see, you get a glimpse of it in the spring. Uh, they've added some new pieces since then. Uh, we'll talk about the scholarship chart and all that. Uh, coming up in a, in a little bit, but yeah, this is a, a completely reworked roster. I think Shotgun said 54 players are gone from from last year. Um, I mean, they've had a couple JC guys. They've added a lot of transfers, like you had mentioned, from Power Five programs. So it's a completely you know reworked roster, and uh, you know, curious to see how it all kind of comes together. We you know. Pactual Media Day, we heard from some of the big players, right? We talked about Shane Lee and Caleb Williams being leaders on the offensive, defensive side of the ball. And, and of course, Lincoln Riley for USC Media Day, which is something we haven't really seen them do before. I don't remember them doing this before, Chris. Usually just people are available at, you know, at fall camp. Um, but we will on Thursday get to hear from a whole bunch of players and coaches. It's going to be, I think, from one to uh, 5 p.m. or 4.30 p.m., uh, we're going to get every half an hour at least one or two coaches and then between, like, two and six players. Uh, like, so starting at 1 o'clock, we're going to hear from Roy Manning and Brian and Odom and then hear and talk to guys like Roy Foreman, Raylan Goforth, Romello Height, and Brendan Rice. They're not always going to be players associated with their coach, but, you know, there'll be 
they're trying to keep that kind of theme together. Like uh, Kyle McDonald will talk with uh, Travis Dye and Austin Jones. But we'll have an opportunity to kind of get these guys uh, and, you know, chat with them for quite a while. So I think it's going to be uh, really interesting to hear from all these players. I haven't counted them all up yet, Chris, but it's like, I don't know, 25 players or something like that. I mean, there's a lot of dudes we're going to be able to talk to on Thursday. So it's something a little different than what we've had for Pac-12 media days in the past. I mean, uh, USC, we, we haven't really had like a USC media day like this. Yeah, the, the closest thing I can think of was that that time they they brought us in and they brought us the whole all the all the all the staff. We went in that room and we got to talk to all the new staffs like Vic Soto, guys like that. That was the closest thing I can can think of. But, yeah, this is going to be a legitimate media day with close to 30 guys, the full roster. So it's going to be going to be interesting. It's going to be I know it's going to be a little bit hectic, you know, all of us bouncing around. But. The one thing that uscfootball.com always has is numbers, Ryan. So I think we're going to be in the best position to get as many interviews and videos as possible. And again, you you mentioned at the top of this show, but the content is coming. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Sign up for the Peristyle. There's going to be a lot of content coming over, you know, the next four days, especially if we have this big content dump going into Friday. And then Friday we have camp itself. So that's going to produce its own uh, slew of content. So lots. It's coming. Content is coming. Winter is coming, Ryan. Which, <laughs> uh, I never watched. Uh, was it Game of Thrones? I never was. Uh, yeah, yeah, never... yeah. Me too. I, I just I know that's just the saying or whatever. I probably butchered it. Oh, uh, no. That's, I think you're right. I think that's what I think that's what they say in there and stuff. Uh, but yeah, so the the media day will be interesting all afternoon. Um, you know, I think you know there's. It's going to be something we're going to put up a ton of videos and uh, a lot of interviews with all these players and coaches. So you can kind of consume all that. The next morning is when the first day of fall camp starts 7 a.m. practice on Thursday. I mean, on Friday. So we probably won't have a whole bunch of stuff up, you know, before that first practice. But there won't be another practice until uh, I think it's the following Monday. So we'll have some time over the weekend to kind of put a lot of that content up from Thursday. Some of the uh and, you know, individual interviews and we can, you know, do some stories off of all that, but it's going to be a morning practice. How are you on field? Uh, we'll only get to talk to Lincoln Riley then. And that's fine. Cause we will be able to talk to like everybody, like, you know, the, the night before, uh, but we'll get to hear from Lincoln Riley about the first practice and all that stuff. We'll watch the um, stretch and individual periods uh, in the beginning of practice. We can get some photos and videos uh, from that. And then we'll hear from, Lincoln Riley, uh, but yeah, that's I, it's hard to believe. And then, you know, one of the changes, Chris, is that they're going to be a bunch of morning practices. Not all of them, but there's a, a lot of morning practices mixed in. Yeah, I mean, I'm sort of, I'm not really intimidated by morning practices, if you will. I'm sort of, I'm not really a morning person. But here's the thing: if I have to be somewhere, like let's say I have to be somewhere at 7 a.m., I'll get up. It might take me a little bit, but I'll get up and I'll be good to go. Like, I don't need coffee. Yeah. I don't need anything like that. I'm not a coffee drinker, but I'm good to go. So I do like the idea of just getting USC coverage and practice out of the way early. Because then we because sometimes we don't leave till late in the evenings when we cover, you know, a five o'clock practice or a six o'clock practice. And so this way we're going to be able to put some content up before we go not avoid the traffic going back to wherever we're going back so that'll be nice and then you just have the whole evening to sort of you know 
more more time for the the board to kind of digest context. Sometimes it'll go up at like 10 8, 10 p.m. A lot of people are already in bed or you know turned in for the night. So I think this will be nice in terms of for the board. You know, they get the content for their lunch break or something like that. You know, they'll have stuff to talk about early in the afternoon and going to the evening. So I kind of like that. And just for me, I like I said, I'm not. I like the idea of just getting up early, getting practice out of the way. I used to be a swimmer, and we used to practice at like six in the morning. So I'm okay with it. I'll get through it. I'm sure I'll be hating myself, uh, you know, a month into morning practices. But we'll see how it goes. I, I'm I'm cautiously uh, excited about the the change to the morning. Yeah, I am too. I'm not. Yeah, you know, I'm. I get up early a lot. Like I do the gym early in the morning sometimes and stuff. So I don't have a problem with that. And you know, being able to kind of get it done early, and then you want to go play nine holes in the afternoon or something, you can do stuff like that, uh, which is cool. But that first one is seven a.m. and then they'll practice a couple times in the Coliseum at nine a.m. that we won't be able to attend. Then there'll be a six thirty p.m. practice at the Coliseum. I believe that's on Monday, and we'll be able to go to that one. But that's so the way it's going to work is practices are not open to the public at all. So uh, the general public, if you wanted to come down and watch practice, you can't do that. For us, it's seems like every other practice or so every third, maybe uh, the beginning is open so we, you can watch them stretch. So we can see who's in uniform, right? We can see if it's a full pads practice, we can see who's wearing pads and who's not. And then. They'll stretch, and then we, they'll go through individual drills. We can get some footage of that. Uh, you can take pictures and things like that. So we can get some stuff to kind of show you what the feel of what practice is like. So when practice really starts and they're doing team stuff, we won't be able to watch that. So we'll leave, go to the media room, wherever we got to go, and then come back out for interviews. Maybe it's just Lincoln Riley, or it's offensive players and coaches, or defensive players and coaches. But there's, I don't know, it seems like, maybe two or three a week that we'll be able to attend, uh, you know, practices and, and get some content from. So I think it'll space it out pretty nicely. We weren't sure if practices were going to be open at all. So uh, I'm pretty happy about that. It's, you know, from the people I talked to, Chris, it was more about, you know, Lincoln Riley got it that, you know, yeah, in, in Norman, you didn't need to have practices open. There was the only game in, in town. This is Los Angeles. Uh, there's, you know, there's the Lakers, there's the Dodgers, there's, you know, the Kings, there's all these other sports teams. And a guy like Lincoln Riley uh, can sit down and have breakfast somewhere and not get accosted by the zillion people asking for autographs. Because, you know, if you're like ranking head coaches in in the city, like, you know, I guess he's probably in the top, maybe he's in the top five. I don't know. But, you know, it, if you look at Caleb Williams, who would be like the number one sports star in in Oklahoma, you know, is he in the top twenty in in Los Angeles? Probably not, you know. Uh, so I think it's, I think they get it a little bit more. Where it's like, look, if we close practices, you're just kind of like inviting people to pay attention to other sports and not ours. So, um, you know, I I think the this is a good compromise where we get to watch some. He's not giving away the secrets of what's going on in practice with his offense, which I don't think would be a problem, but it does give us an opportunity to do our jobs and, and create content. And I don't think they're giving away the fun, you know, they're, they're giving away state secrets or anything by letting the media come check it out. So it seems like a pretty good compromise, uh, but I'm glad that he, you know, kind of have, have, has embraced that. And from what I was told by people, like 
he was totally fine with it. Like he understood. Like I, I, the people I talked to in Oklahoma, Chris were like, everything's close. He's never going to let you guys do anything. Um, I think that just shows he's willing to adjust to the surrounding, you know, to the, the surroundings, you know, it's different. You're in Norman, Oklahoma, you're in Los Angeles, California. There's going to be a different philosophy because there's just different, you know, circumstances to, to, uh, run your practices and run your program. And so I, I think that shows adaptability right away, uh, from, from Lincoln Riley. Yeah. I mean, I know some people might complain about it, you know, only 20 minutes. What can you learn from that? I mean, yeah, we're not going to get to see the majority of time, any real like, uh, lineup stuff. But if you're, if you're, if you're smart and you kind of pay attention, you can kind of read between the lines, what you see in practice and you can, you can pick up information. You can learn stuff. Just got to be a little bit more observant at times because you only have those, those 20 minutes and, you know, I still get plenty of stuff for the ghost notes. And so I like, you know, sometimes it's harder when I do ghost notes, when I have a full practice, because I just have so much to pay attention to Ryan. But when I know I yeah. only have 20 minutes, I can really, you know, buckle down and pick out the best things to put in for, for, for every practice report. So the 20 minutes, you know, you wish you could see a little bit more, but you know, you can still learn a lot of stuff in 20 minutes that you see in practice, even though it's not really, obviously, you know, it's not one-on-ones. It's not, uh, you're not seeing teams run or anything like that. You're just seeing more like individual drills and stretching, but you can still pick up stuff. Um, so I'm happy we still have that kind of that similar access that we did in spring because I was able to learn a lot, um, from those, 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 uh, practices we got to see, uh, just the, you know, just the, just the opening. And then we still get to talk to players and coaches, which, you know, you can, you can get also a lot of stuff from just, you know, asking the right questions and, you know, following up with the guy after practice, like, Hey, how was practice? What would you guys do? Uh, any, any big plays, anything like that. So. It just makes you have to to work a little bit harder, but I'm just so glad we get to see some aspects of practice still. I agree, and I and if you guys haven't checked out the ghost notes, like Chris does an amazing job. It's sort of an homage to you know when Dan Weber was doing the ghost notes. This was an homage to one of our posters, you know, McKay's ghost that was putting you know he was attending practice back in the day in the Pete Carroll era and putting a bunch of notes in there, and once. Once fans weren't allowed to watch anymore, he couldn't put his notes. Dan Weber started doing that, and then and Chris has, has brought that, kept that tradition going. And I think it's a great one. And, and Chris really does an amazing job uh, with, you know, I'm sitting there next to him and the notes that are going down in his book and the way he's able to put them together, uh, he gets a lot out of those 20, 30 minutes. And I mean, don't get me wrong, I would love to be able to watch practice because I feel like we've been doing it for a long time. Being able to watch everything that's going on, you can kind of see uh, position battles unfold better. You can see, you know, the interaction between assistant coaches and uh, and players. You know, if there's something, I, I think it was, what was it, like Sayer Wright and uh, Dante Williams, there seemed to be like a little tiff or whatever going on between those two. We could hear in the interviews. But if you're watching, like, you know something like that, then you're watching them. Or what, last year, if you were going to watch you know, Corey Foreman's interaction um, with the defensive coaches. I mean, any of that stuff, you can pick up a lot of information or, or guys that's in pads, but he's not practicing. You know, he's out there in pads, but he didn't really practice at all. He was on the bike most of the time, whatever it is. Um, that stuff is always great. But I knew there was going to have to be some sort of compromise 
And there's certain coaches that really don't want you to be able to watch what's going on. And Lincoln rather is one of them. So that's why I feel like this is a, a pretty good compromise for us. Would love to be able to still watch practice, right? It's, I, I think we get a lot from it. Um, and I, it's, it's better, you know, for the fans that are reading the site or listening to the podcast or whatever, you know, it just gives us a lot more information and just little things that you can kind of pick up and store away for later. And, and, you know, it helps you form your opinions to help you, helps you ask better questions. You know, if you see something at practice, you can ask them, maybe it wasn't a pick, but maybe it was just a, you know, a ball that, you know, like last year, if you were like, yeah, like Drake London didn't get any passes thrown his way because Chris Steele was on him the whole time. Like didn't make any plays, but he's like, Hey, they never even threw the ball his way. Like you were like, how did you feel when you're covering him? Whatever, things like that. You can just watch and get some decent insight, ask some different questions. So that'd be great. Uh, but you know, we'll, we'll take what we can get right now. And I'm pretty happy that we're going to have, you know, a bunch of content for all, for everyone out there. Um, is there anything, Chris, you're looking particularly forward to, uh, in fall camp, I think for the spring, so many new faces. We wanted to see how they all interacted together, and it didn't look like a team that was just built. It looked like there was cohesion. There's new pieces added in the fall, and I think for me, I want to watch. You feel like this chemistry was established, that a culture was established from the spring. Now you're adding some new pieces to it, and some high-profile pieces like a, you know, a Jordan Addison. How does that does that upset any of the chemistry and see you know see what it looks like there? But I. That's kind of what I'm going to look for at first. But what, what were you kind of looking forward to? One uh, just quick note on terms of you know the the coverage or not the coverage the access that we that we are given. Uh, another thing that kind of changed it for us or helped us was that we were able to roam more on the sidelines and get different uh, perspectives. You know, we were able to go over on the left side and kind of see the defensive lineman work up close, or I could literally be five feet from Alex Grinch as he's screaming his head off at the, uh, the defensive backs in a drill. So to be able the the ability to move out of that little pen and up and down the sidelines was so uh, valuable just to get different yeah. perspectives and see a bunch of different things and kind of move around and pick up different notes that I wouldn't be able to get or we wouldn't be able to get, you know, when we were kind of secluded to the to the media pen. Just wanted to add that. And I think we're still going to be able to have that um, for fall camp. So that should be fun. But just in terms of things that I'm excited for, for me, obviously seeing the new faces, I think Jordan Addison is there, is obviously somebody that everyone wants to see that connection with, with Caleb Williams. And, and as he helps take that offense to another level. But for me right now, it's just one of my favorite things about early in fall camp is just seeing how body types have changed, who, who looks bigger, who is slimmed down, who comes out of the tunnel looking like, whoa, that guy did not look like that five months ago, or that was something we saw trending in this direction uh, in spring. But now here we are after summer and whoa, this guy looks like a guy. So you always see plenty of guys like that. Um, and, you know, it, it, you can you can look at the roster and you can look at the uh, the media guide and the notes and stuff. But you're really not going to get a feel for how body types have changed. You know, the the, the roster may say a guy is five pounds heavier than or from the spring roster but you can't really you know contextualize that or see that until you see them come out of the, the tunnel till you see them in pads you know working in a drill they just look different and that's sort of the thing that i i want to see you know benny wiley has put in a lot of work with these guys and a lot of guys have raved about it and we saw that photo that came out a couple of uh 
a couple of weeks, I think a couple of weeks ago, I think last week, actually, someone posted a photo and everyone is just shredded in that photo. Even Benny Wiley has a six pack. So, you know, this is the kind of stuff we want to see. And you can see it in a picture. You can see weight changes on a roster. But until you get get up close with your eyes, that can really, you know, open some eyes as to, oh, maybe this person is going to be a guy this year, like an Eric Gentry. Like, you know, he's six foot six, 210 pounds. If he comes in 15 pounds heavier, you're going to notice that you're going to pick that up right away. Or, you know, maybe a, a Rajon Davis, who is someone who has been trying to put on weight all spring and finally found it. Maybe he's got uh, 10 more pounds of muscle on him since we saw him in spring. You're going to look at that and be like, whoa, OK. This guy's coming for for a backup job or this guy's going to push for that starting job. So those are the kind of things I like to see early in fall camp. And that's definitely one of the things I'm excited to to get my eyes on when because I'm always there early at the tunnel and I get a lot of notes from the tunnel. So though, that's something I'm definitely going to keep my eye on. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's uh, there's a thread on the Peristyle right now, like updated weights, you know, that, that people like to look at. But. That's one thing that's written on a piece of paper and who knows when those weights were taken and how, you know, how accurate the previous weights were and all that. But when you get to see them and the body looks different, it might be the same weight, but they look like the weights distributed you know, across their body differently. All that stuff is cool to kind of check out. And uh, it was a lot of fun when we used to be able to cover the summer workouts, like the player run practices and seeing the guys run around with their shirts off, uh, you know, catching passes and things like that. You're like, oh, you got a pretty good feel for the summer. So I think it makes fall even more important because we don't really get to see them that much or unless there's like a, you know, an Instagram video or something from the staff or from, you know, Benny Wiley. But uh, now we'll be able to see them, you know, what they look like. Without pads on and put the pads on, sometimes they look a little bit different. So I'm definitely looking forward to that too. Um uh, and again, good point about the roaming. Yeah, that's definitely been been better. You can get better video. You can kind of get a feel for some of the different drills. So that's that's actually been a nice uh, plus. We're not just like stuck in this little pen. We can't move anywhere. Um, I did update the scholarship distribution chart. So August 1st, today we're recording this on August 2nd. August 1st is the day like everything rolls over. So any transfers now will be for 2023. Um, you know, the I, I believe it's the August 1st is the actual date where the head count for scholarships start. So football is a head count sport, meaning you're not, you know, you can't get a partial scholarship. It's a year, a year over year thing. So if you're on scholarship today, you're on scholarship for the whole season. You know, so if you were dropped on July 30th, you know, whatever, then it doesn't you're not counting towards the 2022. So it's just a year over year kind of thing. Uh, but right now, it looks like USC is going into the season with 80 players on scholarship. A couple of dropped off. Uh, we talked about them a little bit. They got, you know, got brought up at Pac-12 Media Day. Uh, Maximus Gibbs, you know, dealing the offensive lineman, uh, who I think Chris was going to have prominently put in his offensive depth chart prior to that, uh, was dealing with a personal matter. And he wasn't listed on the fall roster. And Atticus Bertram, uh, did I say that right? Did I get his name? Yeah. Uh, Atticus the Bertram? Austra- yeah. yeah, the Australian punter. Um, I think Riley still, you know, talked about maybe you get an update before fall camp. There's always issues with international players. No one, no one's ever convinced he actually existed. Um, as of right now, he doesn't. He's not on the roster. Maybe we'll find out on 
Thursday or Friday that he's he's here in town or something. But uh, looks like USC is going to only have one scholarship um, special teams player, Chris, and that's uh, Alex Stadhouse. He's a former walk-on. He he had already entered the portal and came back. Um, but by my count, there's 80 players on scholarship, so there was 82, and those two are now no longer on the roster. Uh, I have 21 freshmen. 40 sophomores, and a lot of that's because of the COVID year. It kind of mushed uh, two classes together. Only nine juniors and 10 seniors. So, uh, you know, a lot of underclassmen, uh, a lot of sophomores, like I'd said before. But any kind of overall thoughts on the the roster numbers, Chris? Yeah, I mean, we figured that there would be maybe a little bit of wiggle room in terms of the scholarship to have some in the bank that you can maybe maybe walk on. Maybe a guy like Sean Mahoney, who's been, you know, very active at tight end. Maybe he picks up a scholarship. So you have a couple to dole out. Maybe if you want to get some walk-ons, some of that uh, scholarship love. And then you have some that maybe you want to – maybe there's someone in the portal that, you know, through the first two weeks of practice, you're like, I think we need somebody. You know, you're in the coaches meeting. He's like, I think we could use, you know, X. So, you know, you go look in the portal. You know, there's some guys who entered before the deadline, so guys that could play – um, or, you know, guys are just going to stash for later. So you do have a little bit of wiggle room to kind of play around and, 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 you know, use these, these rides. If you need, uh, you can need depth, even if it's someone just to come on for, even if they don't have eligibility for this season, it's someone that could, you know, help you, uh, on the scout team or stuff like that. Cause we know scout team was a big issue last season for a team that didn't have a lot of depth and you weren't seeing, uh, consistent, uh, scout team, uh, reps being played against your ones on both sides of the ball. So maybe it's someone who can come in and, you know, be that guy to help uh, prep a team, uh, prep the number one defense for, you know, an offense you're coming up against that, that week. So you have some rides to play around with, which we expected. We expected you always want to come in with some wiggle room. So we'll see if, if that changes or, you know, some guys get some scholarships uh, as we move closer to September 3rd. Yeah. Um they do have a little wiggle room. It's not all the way up to 85 or anything like that. So we'll see uh, what they can do. I mean, you might, you know, they they might get, you know, do something with special teams. I don't know. We'll see. There's some, I think some different, uh, different options that they have there. Um, keeping with the, the roster and the, uh, the scholarships, I wanted to go over the, the depth chart. You did your 3.0 projections for the offense. Um, put that up on Tuesday so we can kind of go over um, that a little bit. Maybe we'll go by each position kind of briefly. Uh, quarterback, there's really not much has changed. That you know, originally you had Mo Hassan on there, but uh, you know he had the injury and he's not on the roster anymore. They did add Jake Jensen in there, so he's kind of like the the third scholarship quarterback. So just basically adding him as a, a second backup, but no. You know that that seems like it's a pretty constant, right? With uh, with Caleb Williams there. Yeah, just to be honest, like for the entire offensive depth chart, there's not a lot of what I call drama. You know, there's not a lot of uncertainty at some positions, and I think you can see that when you just go through the depth chart. Uh, but there are some spots, obviously, that we're gonna probably talk about a little bit more that are there's some question marks. But for the most part, you have pretty much set up your your roster you know we know caleb williams mittler moss those are your top two quarterbacks we just know that like uh, caleb's going in as number one uh you have a good sense about the running backs you know you know travis died darren barlow 
uh, Austin Jones. Those are your your top three. And then you got Relique Brown coming in. So that's kind of how that shapes out. You know, I don't think anyone really hasn't had Travis Dyes, the projected number one, and he's been consistent with that with my projection. So there's a lot of just those spots where you have a pretty good idea what it's going to look like, but there's just some spots where it's going to be like, this is going to be interesting to watch. This is definitely something you're going to need to watch in uh, fall camp. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll just go there then. Like with, uh, where would you say some of the more uh, interesting, you know, podcasts would, I mean, not podcasts, interesting um, position battles would be. I would say this is the most interesting podcast uh, out there right now. Yeah. But in terms of big one, it's honestly attack, Ryan. I mean, you know, Bobby Haskins, you signed him in the winter. He's a guy that I had initially down as the the starting left tackle. And then turns out he needs ankle surgery, which is, you know, concerning for a man of his size, especially offensive lineman. And Corlin Ford, who started last season, you know, he stepped up. He maintained all of those spring reps. But it still isn't the full picture because obviously Bobby Haskins was there, was at every practice rehabbing. So you physically could see him, you know, waiting in the wings to 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 jump into that competition. And he's healthy now. So that's going to be the big one. It's going to be does Bobby Haskins. He's a grad transfer, has multiple years of starting experience at left tackle. You know, I don't think he came to USC to sit on the bench and I have him. Him as the the starter for left tackle, I think he's going to win out that competition, and that in itself, Haskins beating out Ford creates some interesting ripples, I would say, for this offensive line. You know, we know Andrew Voorhees; he's going to be the left guard. We just know this. Center, we know it's going to be Brett Elon. You know, those are locked in spots. Right guard. Maybe not as locked in as those, but Justin Dietrich, you know, did a really good job to end the season, uh, spent all of spring camp as that number one right guard. You know, he seems pretty destined for that spot. But if my projection holds and Haskins is that starting left tackle, what do you do with Corlin Ford, Ryan? You know, he's a talented guy, six foot six, three ten, three twenty. You know, we see this all the time where you bring in a prize guy who can be left tackle. But you start him out at right tackle. So there is a conceivable path where if Haskins wins out at left, you know, maybe they they try forward at right tackle. And I know he cross-trained there a little bit uh, last spring, not this past spring, but the last last spring. So he does have a little bit of experience there. If he picks it up quicker, if he's getting more reps there, you know, I could see him being in competition with Jonah Monheim, who started last season at right tackle, spent all of spring as that number one uh, right tackle uh, for Josh Henson and company. And he didn't really have a lot of competition because his backup was Joe Bryson, a former preferred walk-on and who was injured last season. So there wasn't a lot of push there. So maybe if you shift over forward to kind of push that competition a little bit more, and if Ford wins out, you know, maybe Monheim is that swing offensive lineman, a guy who can play right tackle if you need it. And if you need a backup, if you need a left tackle, Ford can shift over to left where he has more experience. And then Monheim can take over right if something were to happen to Haskins. Or, you know, maybe you switched uh, Monheim to compete at guard. I know a lot of people liked him as a guard coming out of high school, and he has experience there as well. So maybe that's a competition, Justin Dietrich for Jonah Monheim for that spot. And right now I have Jonah Monheim or Cortland Ford at right tackle. Going off my expectation that Haskins will win the left tackle job. 
is that going to happen? No, this is just a projection. This is just something, you know, to look at and, and, and take into account that there are some moving pieces. You have six top offensive linemen and only five spots. So I think it's going to get a little interesting. The main uh, uh, uncertainty is with those tackle spots, and it's going to something that's going to have to work itself out in spring camp. I think left tackle is the most important starting job that is up for grabs uh, fall camp. So whatever happens, I think there's going to be some ripple effects, and it's going to be interesting to see how those play out. Yeah, Chris. I mean, I agree with you there. I think there's – right now, you, you might – if you look at the names, uh, you feel pretty confident about six of the players, like you mentioned. I think USC has to get up to seven or eight, nine guys where you feel confident that they could come in and play. There have been games at USC where three guys went down in one in one game. You know, it's happened before. Injuries do happen. So they need to kind of build those out. The the, the interior positions, you feel, feel pretty confident about a lot of veteran leadership coming back. What's going to happen on the outside. I think, you know, I've heard Bobby Haskins speak. I think he was on with Keely Yor. You know, he had the injury and stuff. It wasn't able to go in the spring, but you feel pretty confident he can come in and play. He's been a proven starter before, you know, the couple of young guys, Monheim and Ford, how that's going to work out. Um, I was listening to Cooper Lovelace talk. I think he was on with, um, you know, Mo Hassan on his podcast. looks like he's going to be working out at center from what he was saying. Uh, but he is also okay. someone that's very cerebral. Um, you know, one of the reasons why, you know, a guy like, um, you know, any anyone that you, you talk about the offensive line, like a Brett and Elon, they're usually really smart when you're running things from the center spot. Uh, I think that's why he would get an opportunity to do something like that. Um, but he's, he's someone that wants to come in and learn the position. And I think by the end of camp, he'll be in that kind of mix um, to, you know, he's 325 pounds now, six foot five. Uh, you know, I think he could be a versatile player and that's shown some ability. And then, you know, some of the younger guys, um, you know, we saw Andrew Millick work out there. I think people like what they've seen from a Mason Murphy. I mean, which one of these guys are going to kind of step up and be relied upon, you know? And I, I feel like that's part of what Josh Henson has to do uh, in this, in this, you know, and during camp. But I, you feel pretty good about the first, you know, six guys or so, but can they build some depth up after that? It's going to be interesting. And then, you know, how does it play out? You know, is, uh, it's Cortland Ford left on the bench is, is Monheim. I don't know. Is one of the, those guys beat out a guy like Bobby Haskins. I don't know, but, uh, those are the ones I want to watch the most. I think, you know, when you talk about wide receiver, you got some studs there, but there's all, you know, there's a lot of players that we haven't seen, proven yet and uh well, i'm curious to see how that plays out but i think really when you're watching the offensive line i don't i'm not like doom and gloom on the offensive line i think there's a lot they, they got enough pieces coming back but how it ends up shaping out what it really looks like is what i'm kind of interested in for sure and just with the wide receivers in general obviously addison i think just bumps down everyone on the hierarchy as him being the number one um, you know, I think you got a pretty solid starting, I would call it rotation with Addison, Mario Williams, Brendan Rice and Gary Bryant Jr. Those are kind of my top four that I have listed. But, you know, I think it's like it's not that big of a gap in terms of that rotation because you have, you know, Terrell Bynum, Kyron Ware Hudson, who had a really good spring camp. Kyle Ford, you know, had that touchdown in the spring game. John Jackson, the third, you know, 
always nipping at uh, playing time, trying to have his kind of breakout. And then Michael Jackson, uh, the second, who was in uh, at the end of spring there. And then you have Taj Washington and CJ Williams, the big freshman who Williams, who was injured for most of spring. So this is a very deep group. And, you know, I just felt like I was throwing something against the wall to see because I don't really know how that rotation is going to look. So it's going to be determined more so in the fall than it was in the spring. You could have had a good spring, but if you don't bring it for fall, you know, you're going to fall down that rotation. So that's kind of my best guess at where it kind of ends up. Uh, for USC, and we'll have to see how how long Lincoln wants to go with that rotation. And then with the other, the other kind of like uncertain point would be kind of with that tight end halfback spot, just because we didn't get to see Lake McCree in spring, and Lake was a guy who kind of had a little bit of a breakout at times uh, in the limited time that he did get, and someone who came on late as people were like, "Oh, this guy could be a weapon down the line." And he stuck around. You know, he did have that uh, kind of a knee injury he was battling in spring. So we did not get to see him at all. Uh, but he seems, you know, tailor made for that H back spot where he's kind of utilized as that passer and he does a lot of different things. He's an athletic guy, played basketball. So he, he fits that really well. And so I'm interested to see how that kind of clicks now that he's healthy, now that he's back with Jude Wolf. Kind of Malcolm Epps, who kind of shared that shared that tight end position and H back position in the spring. You know, there's some question marks. You know, Josh Follow, what are they going to get out of him? I'm not sure. He didn't practice a lot in the spring. You know, Ethan Ray's coming off two knee injuries, hasn't played a snap at USC since he arrived here. So he's a big question mark. He seems to be the healthiest he's ever been. So that's good. Maybe some special teams. Maybe he gets in late. I'm not sure. We're just going to have to wait and see how that looks in the fall. And then Sean Mahoney, one of the few walk-ons I'll have on my depth charts, you know, he was the guy who did get a lot of time in spring just because Ethan Ray and Josh Follow didn't really know what you're going to get. That's a guy who could earn a scholarship. And so I think he deserved to be on this this uh, this depth chart. And, you know, I kind of have Lake, Jude, and Malcolm as kind of that top rotation because I do think it'll be a rotation. And that's kind of where I see it going uh, down the line because I think Lake is really talented and you know he could be a guy who who brings it in the fall so just got yeah. obviously has to doesn't have the reps that Jude and Malcolm got in spring in this new offense so he maybe has a little bit catching up to do in terms of on the field uh, a play with this offense but I think he could be I think you could have a real breakout season with this offense and with that position yeah all right. Well, make sure you go check out the depth chart over there at uscfootball.com. Chris did a great job with all of that. Why don't we take a quick break, Chris, and uh, we'll come back and uh, answer some questions. My apologies. We won't be able to get to voicemails today because we're, I'm doing this remotely. Uh, but we'll try to get to those again next week. But I do have a text question we'll get to. So we're going to take a quick break and back in a minute. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
All right, we're back here on the Peristyle podcast. Chris, um, we've got a text message. Let me see where this was from. This was, uh, they, oh, they didn't leave a name, but they sent me a uh, kind of a, a eye chart from this Ohio, I think it was Ohio State podcast. And they were showing um, some of the fits between five potential schools in the Pac-12 and all of the schools in the Big Ten. And they do this long chart of like different academic ranks and how much your endowment is and your market and all this kind of stuff. Uh, and then they have some athletics too, but like a lot of the chart ends up being, um, you know, where, where they're ranked like kind of academically and all of that. And Stanford, UCLA, USC are right up there at the top. Um, you know, Northwestern is up there, uh, Notre Dame and Michigan, those schools, when it comes to academic rankings, they're the ones that have the most like kind of, uh, this green color. I'm sorry, this is a big chart. So like I'm trying to describe like sort of what it is, but you know, USC, UCLA fit in well, as far as academics, they're on the, the higher end of a lot of these rankings when you're looking at, uh, what, you know, fitting into the big 10, I think the point is where Oregon lands, uh, the first three they list are US or Stanford, UCLA, USC, then Northwestern, Notre Dame, Michigan, Ohio State, and kind of on from there, Cal, Washington, Wisconsin. At the very end, uh, you have the last two schools, Oregon and Nebraska. And Nebraska's like got the most red, the worst, but like Oregon is right up there um, with that. I think Nebraska is the only school that's not an AAU member. But outside of that, like uh, the academic rankings and stuff, Oregon's kind of way uh, on that end of it. So I think the point of what they were trying to do is like, you know, if you really want to think about it, Oregon doesn't fit with this Big Ten sort of model. Um, but, you know, to be fair, like they're they're in the Pac-12 right now. And Pac-12, I think, in general has a higher like overall academic like ranking than the Big Ten does overall, but and Oregon's in that one. But I, I think the point of the this texter was just like if you look at it, what's going to happen? It doesn't look like Oregon's going to be involved because they're just not, they don't seem to be fitting in. If that makes sense. Well, so this isn't a question. This is just a hey, it's, look at this. It's more of a hey, look at this um, because I think there's been a lot of talk about. Um, you know, what's going to happen expansion-wise. And according to George Klyakov, no Big 12 teams are going to, I mean, no big, the Big 12 is not going to poach any Pac-12 teams. But if the Big 10 came calling to like an Oregon and a Washington, they would jump at the opportunity. Uh, I don't know if Stanford would jump at the opportunity. If, if Notre Dame says yes, and they're like, hey, we want to go with Stanford, I'm not sure that they would jump at the opportunity. Maybe they would. Uh, but I think that they're trying to say is don't expect some sort of offer to come to Oregon, even though they've had, you know, great athletic success on the field. It just doesn't fit like the, the model. But, you know, to be fair, they also brought in Nebraska. Nebraska was not in that same stratosphere as, as many of the other Big 12 schools. But, I mean, Big 10 schools, but I don't know. I thought I'd pass it along. It was like this kind of interesting chart that they had sent me. Here's the thing. I will never not expect something 
conference realignment. Anything can happen. So I will never not. Uh, I will never not double negative. I'm probably confusing myself, but I will expect everything that can happen will will happen when it comes to conference realignment. Is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, and I, I totally agree with you. Like if you say that's never going to happen, like if we got a, an email that said Oregon. Added to the Big Ten tomorrow. Like, okay, like, you know, it's like it happens. It's like, I'm uh, rolling with it. That, that's what yeah. happens. Right. I'm not going to be super shocked by any of this stuff. Um, we got a few email questions. John B. in Florida said, thanks for the great USC coverage during the offseason. USC fans are all excited about the new coaching staff, team makeover, and new culture. Over the past several years, in the old culture, I've noticed the following game trends that usually – portended an ugly win or loss. You know, uh, a here-we-go-again moment. I'll be watching, hoping these trends become ghosts of the past, crumbling after getting a 14-0 lead, consecutive three-and-outs by the offense, third-quarter score, third scoring droughts. What are some of the game trends you hope uh, will become ghosts of the past and show a new culture? Uh, John B. in Florida. You know, like, penalties, things like that. Anything come to mind, Chris? I think the third scoring, the third quarter scoring droughts is like number one for me. I know we mentioned it, but like that was like a running joke all season in the, you know, kind of the Graham Harrell era. And I cannot wait to get some third quarter scores just for this, just for the hilarity that it will happen on Twitter, just to see all that. That'll feel like a weight off the, off the backs of many USC fans seeing a team put up points in the, uh, the third quarter. I think another thing is just red zone inefficiency. You know, there were so many times USC would get into the red zone and they would have to settle for field goals. So I think turning field goals into touchdowns, which is something obviously Lincoln Riley knows a lot about and not stalling out in the, in the red zone. I think that's, that's another big one for me. Just seeing this team put away drives and complete drives that that's something I'll be looking uh, looking towards. And as Miller Moss said, we actually practice red zone now. So I think we're going to see a big uptick in that in that field. Yeah, those are good ones. Uh, having the right amount of people on the field. That'd be one I would like to see. Like you don't want to have shotgun going. Well, they only had nine guys on this PAT attempt, things like that. Um, you know, you don't want to see those again. Uh, the penalties too. You don't want to be like, oh, I got 16 penalties against Arizona or whatever. Uh, some of that kind of stuff. Uh, but thank you for that question. Um, our buddy John in Brea wrote in. He said, my cousin's brother, I, no, I'm sorry, my friend's cousin's brother. Does the a deep one. Work. Yeah, deep one. At the NCAA offices. So he's a temp at the NCAA. He said he found something in the trash that proves the NCAA is going to add a time machine element to the transfer portal. Each year, every school can transfer one player in their prime the school's passed onto the current roster and have one year of eligibility. This will be huge for USC. Considering this new rule, which of the following players do you think Lincoln Riley should add for the 2022 season? Reggie Bush, Sam Baker, Leonard Williams, Troy Palmalo. Surely one of these players could help USC win the Pac-12 and make a playoff run, right? John and Brea. I just want to say I love this question. It's an amazing question. Mine's pretty clear. I don't know, who would you say? Well, 
Just right off the bat, it's between Sam Baker and Leonard Williams for me. I, th- I think yeah. both have their. I, yeah, I would agree. You're probably on the same page as me. You don't need Reggie as much as you know he would love to have Reggie on this roster. You have enough talent on offense. Your real issue is in the trenches on both sides of the ball. You know, you did not get real uh, quote unquote like all star impact interior defensive linemen to help out Tuli Tupelotu and Nick Figueroa. Uh, and just to overall have a more formidable pass rush, you know, with some guys who don't have a lot of experience. You know, I know Romello Height, you know, he doesn't have a career sack. You know, Corey Foreman trying to make that breakout. But if you had Leonard Williams, like that changes the whole entire aspect of your defense. But on the flip side, you're looking at Sam Baker like this team needs offensive line depth and adding going from six to seven top linemen. That's a huge difference. And having a guy of all-american caliber like sam baker on your offensive line would do wonders but i'm kind of looking it's really tough it's probably a coin flip for me but i feel like i feel like i'm crazy here but i'd probably go leonard williams just because the defense is was so bad last season and i think leonard takes that defense from what could be like a good defense to like what could be a great defense and i think that would make a world of difference in terms of you know being in the Pac-12 championship and maybe even, you know, competing, make a run, you know, maybe go go 11 and one or something like that. I think if you had a big cat in the trenches, I think it with Thule. Oh, my goodness. That could be a that could be a fun combo to watch. 100 percent. I'm going with Leonard Williams. I mean, I think. USC offense doesn't need a lot of help like there. I mean, Sam Baker would be it'd be huge, right? You get like a. All-American left tackle, it kind of, you get opportunities, Haskins can play right tackle, you can, whatever you want to do, you can do anything you want after that. Reggie Bush is Reggie Bush, right? I mean, just instant offense in a can, just open and add nothing. It's just instant offense. And so, but you need the most help on the defensive side of the ball. You need the most help on the defensive line. As much as Troy Mahalo would be amazing to watch. Like all these guys would, uh, I got to go with Leonard Williams. It's just the, the biggest position of need on the side of the ball where you need the most help. So, um, I mean, if you're just going to keep trying out score everybody, I mean, I don't, I don't know what kind of a difference, you know, Sam Day- Baker would definitely make a difference, but I think you kind of like change the game if you add like a Leonard Williams and it adds, you know, it just allows these other players to do something else. So, I would go with Leonard Williams as well. But I love the question, John. I think it's amazing. Leonard Williams is the guy you need in that Utah game, baby. That's the game where it's going to make the difference. Yeah. You get after her, you know, get after the everyone in the Utah backfield, you know. Um, you just, just want to dis, disrupt as much as you can, and I think he'd make a big difference on the road. We got uh, another email. Hey, guys, just wondering what your impressions of the players physically have been so far with the addition of new strength coach Benny Wiley. I followed him on social media, and the kids look pretty good. But as you know, the camera adds a few pounds. Very optimistic that this guy will last, given that this is Riley's guy, and the new strength and conditioning coach. Coaches seem to come in uh, annually from 2016 to 2021 under Helton. I really noticed that the trenches, I mean, the transfers are generally bigger than the rest of the roster, and it hurts me knowing we haven't had much size on the team since 2016. Always will... Uh, horror at these Ivan Lewis years and the skinny guys we trotted out there. Shout out to Osmus and Steiner for trying to fix this, but Wiley seems legit so far. 
What say you guys? I always love your content. Keep it up. Uh, Adrian from the Valley said, P.S. If they need muscle milk, I'll go to Costco and buy the bundles. I need these guys huge uh, for the future games against Iowa and Ohio State. I'll never forget them uh, them running quarterback sneaks, toying with our defensive line in 2019, and Nick Bosa destroying the offensive line. I mean, I sort of touched on this when you asked me things I'm excited for for fall camp, and that's seeing what the players look like physically. And, you know, my impressions just from seeing videos and photos is I'm cautiously optimistic that this team is going to look pretty swole, pretty uh, a lot bigger than what we saw in the spring. But again, I can't really judge that until I see it up close with my own eyes. You know, we'll see it at media day, I'm sure, with some guys maybe popping out of their polos. Uh, But we'll really see it when they come out of the locker, you know, helmets on when they get the pads on. We'll really see that difference. But, you know. I always tend to give any new uh, strength and conditioning coach, uh, you know, the benefit of the doubt. I'll give them the chance to to show what they can do with these guys. And, you know, some guys really transformed under under Steiner and even some guys really took to uh, Aaron Osmus. So I think you gain something with every guy that you're with. But Benny Wiley seems to have just an incredible amount of impact so far in just a short amount of time. And even on the recruiting trail, you know, even a guy like Tackett Curtis, the four-star linebacker that they signed, one of his big things was development. And Benny Wiley blew away his presentation with them in, the, in that, that meeting they had on a special visit. So Riley has, Wiley, sorry, not Riley, Wiley has proven to be an asset, not only actually in the gym, but in the the recruiting rooms, you know, when he's having meetings with these guys. So I think it's a really good start. Obviously, we have to see it in action. You know, you can look good. You can look like Tarzan and play like Jane. I know that's a that's a famous football adage and adage, not adage, adage. And I think, you know, these guys are looking a little like Tarzan. Now we just got to see it on the field. And I think we'll, we'll we'll get a chance to see that when they go out there, you know, with the line. You know, Caleb was hyping up his line where all the with all the. But all the weight they were pushing, you know, having six packs and we're going to you're going to really see that against, you know, when you're playing against Stanford, you're playing against Utah, you're going to Oregon State on the road. You're going to see how that what that what those long days in the gym or in the weight room turned into. You know, you're going to see it on the field. So I'm cautiously optimistic that I think the players have responded well uh, mentally and physically under Wiley. But again, I need to see it. I need to see it in the in, on Saturdays. No, I agree with you. And, you know, don't pretend to be I don't pretend to be a strength and conditioning coach expert, but you you watch enough of this stuff. And I feel like sometimes there's some unfair criticisms where like, oh, that guy broke his leg. Strength and conditioning coach, they're terrible. You know, whatever it is, there's a lot of that going on. But it's not just, uh, you know, it's sort of like you need to lose weight and there's like five different diets you can try and they all might work. They all might not. You know, it just depends on what you do, but a lot of it's the circumstances around it. And I think I never got a feel for Robert Steiner. I don't even think I ever talked to him. That's weird. I, like, I, he's the only strength coach I've never even like spoke with. Um, and it just, you know, he came into a bad culture. He came into, a, you know, a, a head, he, he was there for two games for his head coach, right? Um, he was never a head strength coach before. He comes over from Notre Dame. And, you know, I, I don't think that's really a fair position to be put in. You know, it's like how you judge them. I don't know. 
I liked, you know, Aaron Osmus was a really nice guy. I don't know the ins and outs of strength and conditioning, but when I looked at what he was doing, especially during the pandemic, I didn't feel like he was a great fit for not being in a weight room with, you know, tons of weights everywhere. Uh, you can do strength and conditioning with body weight and stuff. And I asked him specifically about that, and he was, like, poo-pooing it. Like, that's not what he does. He's a, you know, lift a, a whole bunch of weight, and, you know, that's sort of his philosophy. Well, it's hard to do when you're in a pandemic and you can't get into the weight room. So I, I, I think there was things that just didn't work out for him either. He also wasn't in college strength and conditioning for five years. Um, and, you know, his philosophy is going to be different, where it's more like, eating steaks and, and lifting all the time. Like it's more of an old school kind of approach. I don't know if that's the best for football or not, but that's, you know, that's one of his philosophies and there's other ones that have more scientific approaches. So it just, it kind of depends, but a lot of it was, it's, it's hard to judge when the whole culture of the team is bad because you had a bad leader in Clay Helton and you had different, you know, offensive line coaches every year and different, there's just a lot of rotation of pieces because they weren't getting rid of the big problem which was at the top. So the fact that Lincoln Riley has worked with, you know, Benny Wiley before, I think that's a positive. The whole culture of the team is better. I think that's a positive. You've brought in players from outside that have, you know, knew what it took to win at Alabama or Auburn or different places where they, they really take football seriously. And they seem to be adapting to it. So I'm pretty optimistic about Benny Wiley. I've got to interview him and I've run into him out and about and uh, just, you know, I, I like what I see from him. Um, so I'm, I'm optimistic about that. I'm, you know, it's hard not to be about drink coaches sometimes, but uh, I, I never really, you know, I liked some of the philosophies from, from Bobby Steiner, but I just never, I never really got to know him, you know, and I never got to know like what, what he brought to the table. It was definitely different than what Aaron Osmus did. And that's always, there's usually positives there when, you know, this is different than what we were doing before. Um, but you know, I, my, my gut feeling is positive on, on Benny Wiley, but, you know, the proof will be in the pudding, what we see on Saturdays, you know? For sure. Uh, yeah. And then we got one last question from Reggie. He said, I wanted you to address all the attention the newcomers at USC have received. Do you think this could have a negative impact on the rest of the team? The remaining wide receivers appear to be all but forgotten. And I can't help but think this has had to have some impact on the rest of the room. Uh, Kalen Bullock, the safety, sent a tweet yesterday that he felt disrespected. I, I admit that uh, I, I'm sorry. I admit that I do know what he, I do not know. He means he means I don't know what he was referring to. But the post seemed to be a response to the two USC football members selected to speak at Pac-12 media events. I personally noticed that the other members seem to have been ignored, and I don't like it, especially the wide receivers. Even the media appears to be only focused on the new guys. I just think this is going to yield some negative results if it continues. Fight on, Reggie. And I'll, real quick, um, no, I think he was talking about Pac-12. Uh, he wasn't even listed as a an all Amer uh, an honorable mention on the uh, you know preseason all Pac-12 list. That's what the disrespect was, um, and we all agree with that. I, Chris went off on a rant about it. Um, as far as the newcomers. I think the players that were on the team, you're looking at, if you were saying like there was this great culture that existed on the team and now these new people come in and all they're talking about is the new, the new people, that would be something. But basically you had to blow it up. This is like a teardown. 
and there were people left over. Like there were some rooms that weren't that didn't get blown up. The rooms aren't upset that the the rest of the house is gone. The rooms that are remaining aren't upset about that, and they're happy about the new kitchen and the new bathroom coming in. So I don't think that there's any animosity. I think the chemistry between the new and the old worked well in the spring, and a lot of it had to deal with you just knew what was existing there sucked. It was terrible. You needed to upgrade. And so I think that, you know, a guy like Kyle Ford knows that you just brought in the Belidnikov award winner. You're a five-star. That's fine. You're not owed anything. Um, but they're all going to have an opportunity to come in and play. And I think they're all, there are a lot of them going to play. I think there's going to be a deeper rotation and you're going to see these guys get in there. And if they make some big catches, they'll probably get more opportunities. And if they don't, there's plenty of new guys that are coming in that will. And so I don't see this as being a problem, Reggie, and you know, get your thoughts on this, Chris. Uh, but I think you, you can't look at it as here's the team that used to be here. And now we're adding these new pieces and they're disrupting the apple cart. You had to blow up the apple cart and start again. So the players that are left over are happy to still be there and happy that they've got a much better leadership, you know, much better leadership group around them and better players around them and a better culture and all that. So I don't see that as a problem, but Chris, what do you think? Yes. And if you want to check out my Kalen Bullock is being wildly disrespected, Rand, you can check that out on YouTube from our last tunnel vision. And Ryan, I think you hit the nail on the head. I believe that is what he's talking about because not the football players being to speak because he, Kalen Bullock is a sophomore and you don't usually bring your sophomores uh, to uh, media events like that, unless you're like a Heisman contender, like a Caleb Williams, which which makes a lot of sense. Uh, but yeah, I don't think I think above all, you're a football player, you're on a college football team, or any team in general, Ryan. I think you just want to win, and USC was not winning last year, obviously, and the guys that stayed, they knew that there were issues in the program. They knew that there was a culture issue and a leadership issue and accountability issues. And so guys that aren't on the team, you know, you know, some of them were, you know, part of the problem. Some of them weren't, some were just wanted different opportunities, but in large part, if you stuck around with this team, you were aware of what the issues were last year and you want to change that. I mean, look at a guy like Nick Figueroa who spoke out about the issues last season in the middle of the season. And he was a guy who was determined to come back for another year just because he did not like the way this uh, last season ended. And he wanted to go out on a high note. And a lot of these guys want to put that bad taste of last year out, out, you know, and they want to rinse that. They want to, they want a fresh start. They didn't come to USC to lose. They came to USC to win, play for championships. And I don't think they really give a damn about new players and such in terms of them getting attention or whatnot. I think they just want to win. And they're the guys that fit in the culture that they're building fit in the locker room that they're building. And once you're in, you're part of the team. You know, it doesn't matter if new or old or what have you, what have you, you're a Trojan. And so I think for the most part, guys want to be part of something bigger than just, oh, this guy's getting preseason accolades or this guy is a preseason All-American. Yeah, Jordan Addison's really good. And now he's on your team. You know, yes, Caleb Williams is really good. Now he's on your team. And if you're, <laughs> you're maybe a backup guy who who wasn't getting a lot of playing time and you have these new guys coming in because you can look at some positions and it's a lot of new guys up top, but I think you're going to get a lot more opportunity. You're going to win. You're going to get in, you're going to get a lot more reps 
You're going to get time and blowouts. You're going to get the chance to play, which is not really what was happening over the last the course of the last several seasons. You weren't you were losing and you were getting playing time. At least now you'll be winning and you're going to be playing time. And this is a coaching staff that has preached the best will play. If a new guy comes in, but a guy who was on the team before is uh, outperforming him, well, the the old guy's going to get. It doesn't matter. Whoever is whoever is showing up to practice, whoever is bringing in practice, that is who's going to play. Forget new versus old. The best players are going to play. And if your guy was on the team last year and you were the be- and you were the best player, hey, you're going to win. You're going to win out and you're going to play. So. I don't. I think. I think the new versus the old guys that kind of goes away. I think that's only really a media thing because they brought in a lot of talented players. Let's be honest, and they needed talented players. And I think that's the overall thing is just to win. And I think a lot of players understand that, and a lot of players don't want to be selfish about that. They just want to be a part of a team that is, you know, going somewhere. Not four and eight. Not you know Sun Bowl. They want a team that's going to compete. For a championship, and this is a team that is built to compete for a Pac-12 championship. Let me be specific, but I think that's something that everybody in that locker room wants. And I don't really think the the new the new guys getting the attention kind of thing is going to to derail that. No, I agree. It's like you're talking 54 players off the roster from last year. Some of those players probably would be upset, but I think what you tried to do is reshape this roster to people that are going to all be on the same page. And I think the people that are left over realized like it wasn't going to be, you know, ice cream and laser tag, like the people on the P say, like this was going to be a whole different deal. And wasn't going to, wasn't going to work for everybody. Uh, You know, accountability, everyone brings that up every time we hear when they're talking about the culture and all that stuff. So it's changed. And I think the people that are still there, are embracing the change. And so there's always going to be times where you think you should be playing and someone else is, no matter what the team is, new, old, whatever, whatever you're talking about. That's that's never going to go away. But players usually know who's best. And if, if, if there's a guy in the back of the locker room who's saying like, man, I should be in there, and none of his teammates feel that way, then it's not going to upset things. If it's, man, I should be in there, and everyone's like, man, yeah, he's the best one. Like, why is he not playing? That's where there can be problems because players know who's good. You know, they know uh, who should be in there or not. So as long as it's not political and they're just like not playing players that were left over because whatever, you know, because they're the old team and they aren't the new guys, it's the best player is going to play. And then I think everyone's going to respect that. If you're new, if you're old, whatever, uh, I think that's what's important. All right, Chris. Well, uh, yeah, good stuff. Um Sorry if the audio quality wasn't the best. We're you know doing our best here on a little mini vacation, but uh, hopefully it came out okay. We'll get back to doing our regular uh, YouTube shows and uh, in studio shows uh, going forward. And you know we'll try to get some guests on and stuff, have some fun. Definitely kind of recap what we hear from USC Media Day and the first couple of days of fall camp when we do the show next. But any last words, Chris, before we go? Nope. Just uh, looking forward to a bunch of interviews. Uh, this week, seeing practice and, you know, reporting back next Tuesday when we come together, hopefully in studio. Yeah, for sure. We'll do that. All right. Well, that'll wrap things up. That's Chris Trevino. I am Ryan Abraham. Hope you enjoyed the show and we will talk to you next time.
You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices. Every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.